You're listening to KTDTLP Tucson, Downtown Radio 99.1 FM. You are listening to The Depression Session at 99.1 FM, Downtown Radio. Each week, we'll have a new guest tell the story of their depression. I'm your host, Laura Milkins, and thank you for joining us on The Depression Session. Just a note for my listeners, I want to make sure you understand that this is a show about depression, and some of the content can be triggering, so please take care of yourself if something on the show brings up difficult feelings, and seek professional help if you need it. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio. Today, we have with us in the studio Dan Buckley. Dan is a filmmaker and recovering journalist. He also is back after two years. He was the very first guest of the depression session. We'll be right back with Dan, but first let's talk about grief. Grief is not a disorder, a disease, or a sign of weakness. It's an emotional, physical, and spiritual necessity. The price you pay for love. The only cure for grief is to grieve. Dr. Earl A. Groman. And uh, the grief I'm talking about, I realized recently that I was feeling down and it wasn't regular depression, that I am feeling a sort of grief. I'm making changes in my life right now that mean that next year won't look like this year. I've been feeling all over the summer, like since I took the students to Oaxaca, I was feeling like I want to have a different life. I want to do things differently. I don't know exactly how, but I'm ready to move into some other different phase. Well, now it's clear that I am going to be moving in and changing into doing something different with my life. And I'm feeling really sad. <laughs> you know, it should be like, joy, joy, I have all these exciting new plans. And instead, every time I've made a big change in my life, I feel sad. I feel down. I grieve sometimes for a while. When I graduated from graduate school, I cried pretty much every day for a year. Not because what I was doing wasn't interesting or anything like that. I just was missing what I had. And now it seems like I'm grieving ahead of time for my life being different next year. And that seems crazy. You know, that just seems like a silly thing to be doing, to be, you know, sad already but I realized that so much of my motivation in life is building things and looking forward to what's next. And now I'm not building anything where I am anymore. And that's hard for me. I, I, I don't feel the motivation I feel when I'm, you know, adding a little here and doing a little more there and building something new and exciting. I can't get motivated when the idea is this will be gone. You know, I'm not going to be doing this. But there's this funny thing I've been thinking about recently with like my job is a little bit of a cage in a way. There are things about it that are in every job that restrict you to doing things a certain way. But then I was thinking like, there's no box actually. I'm the box. I create that. I mean, there are institutional reasons that those things exist, but anytime you feel like you're in a box, it's you, you know, there is no box. You can live your life all sorts of ways outside of the lines, and that's fine. So this feeling of grief and feeling of confined, kind of a little desolateness is really coming from me. And as usual, there's nothing wrong with my life. My life is great. I have a great job. I love it. I love my students. I love my boyfriend. I love my home. I love my family. I love my friends. I'm doing things I enjoy doing. I'm looking forward to next year and all the great things I'm doing. 
but I can't help but feel sad. Any of you out there who are feeling a little blue, um, I get you. And thanks for listening to the show this week. So now for announcements. Have you ever thought about where your money goes once you spend it? When you buy local, bank local, and eat local, up to four times more money stays in our community to create jobs and prosperity all around us. Local First Arizona is strengthening Tucson's economy by making it fun and easy to go local. You can visit localfirstaz.com for a directory of thousands of locally owned businesses and tons of events around the state. Localfirstaz.com. Today we have with us in the studio Dan Buckley. Dan is a filmmaker and recovering journalist. He's also back after two years as the very first guest on the Depression Session. Hello, Dan, and welcome to the Depression Session. Good, good to be back. Good to be here. Yeah, so what's new with you? What are you up to? Well, uh, I'm still working on my current project, which is called The Mariachi Miracle, and that's a, a film and book project. And at the moment, we're just wrapping up filming and about to head into editing and post-production phases early next year. So that's exciting and terrifying and, and all things that stuff like that are. Yeah, and uh, it's a huge undertaking. Uh, it is. It is. It is huge. And you really see how huge it is when you start going back through footage and it's frankly alarming and scary as hell. And, and also just the fact that we have had to slow down the pace of getting transcription done on some of the editing because the woman who has been doing that for me has had cervical cancer and so we had to take a break and that just puts us a little bit further behind. There are other people who can step in if she's not feeling up to it, but she sounds like things are very good and on the mend and and I can't think of doing it without her. She has been just a great ally and everything that I've done for the last, you know, five or six years or so. Yeah, it's also again a big uh, chunk of your life. It is. It is. It's a huge chunk of my life, actually. It's been. It was a chunk of my life when I worked for the the Tucson Citizen, and has just become all consuming in the last five years or so. I don't have a life anymore. I just, you know, go and do mariachi things, and and it's well, you know, don't get me wrong, these are the greatest people on earth, it's the best story I'll ever get to tell, no complaints in terms of the, the story itself, it's just fabulous. I feel that way about teaching, best job in the world, Yeah. best experience in the world, wonderful students, wonderful everything, it is all I do most of the time. It's great to have a passion, figure out how to have a life too. I've read of that in People magazine, uh, <laughs> here all the stars are having lives. No. I, I suspect there are, there must be people having regular lives out there. I, I see them. I, I don't know what their internal experience is, but it seemed like they have things outside of what they're doing with their job. <laughs> it's true. And yet, you know, the, the old saying, you never know what anyone else is going through is absolutely true. And, you know, one of the things of working on a project like this, where you are so intimately involved with people, is that. You find out things that you didn't necessarily expect. And stuff happens along the way that is sometimes just really unpleasant. Do you have a website for the... I do. It is mariachimiracle.com. 
Yeah. So yeah. people could find out about what you're doing. And, yeah. 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 You can find out that. about Mariachi in Tucson or. Exactly. And then there is also my personal website, which is DanielBuckleyArts.com. And that's more for photography, music things uh, that I do, not mariachi related. <laughs> <laughs> Which maybe you're not doing right now, but yeah, you will be gonna, again. <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's pretty skimpy at the moment, so uh, you, you won't take a lot of time there. <laughs> well, that's a perfect segue into, so Dan, tell us the story of your depression. Well, you know, uh, it's it's fun to be back here again, uh, which seems a ludicrous thing about going coming back to a show about depression, but here we are. Uh, two years later. Two years later. <laughs> and it's an interesting time because... The last two years have, frankly, been horrific in a lot of ways and extraordinary in a lot of ways. It has been a time of unbelievable economic insecurity, which is the filmmaker's life. That's that's really what you what you have to do when you're when you're saying the words "I'm making a film." What you're really saying is "I'm taking a vow of extraordinary poverty and precariousness." And if you have proclivity towards depression to begin with, it's probably not the best career choice. And yet, so many people do this and comedy and performance things who, you know, the outside world thinks, oh, they got the world on a string. And inside, it's a whole other dialogue. But but this past two years has has been often crushing. And I, I found myself yesterday when you asked me to be back on again, going back through journal notes from the last couple of years, uh, you know, just to remind myself, okay, what was... What was going on in my in my head? And so frequently it was focused on, you know, always go through lack of money. That's that's just like, you know, money comes and goes. That's that's how life is. But sustained, soul-crushing lack of money, where the little bit that you get is all going into paying for stuff that's already happened. And you feel like you're constantly moving backwards. You know, when you're a filmmaker, you want your stuff to work. You want your cameras to work. You want your recorders to work. You want the technical aspects to be in place. And nothing stays like that. The reality is every hard drive you will own in your life will die. I plan on this. Uh, You know, there are backup drives for every piece of footage, every photograph, and so forth. But in those times when you are just broke, you have to figure stuff out. It's very interesting, too. There were a lot of notes in there about how literally my budget was changing every day. Every day I was thinking money was going to come in, and that doesn't. And so you have to go through and go okay, I can afford to do this this week. I'm just going to have to hope that hard drive holds up. I, one of my prime microphones that I use in every shoot just died in the, the middle of an interview. And thankfully, again, I, you know, I'm the king of backup. There's always two microphones going because you just never know. So I did have the other microphone, and that was okay. But suddenly I'm realizing that, 
second microphone is really the primary microphone when I'm shooting live events. And that was not a good thing. And I was trying to downplay it, speaking about it on social media and stuff that way, while at the same time totally freaking out. Thankfully, I have friends that, you know, recognize when I'm not piping up, when I'm extraordinarily depressed and, and distressed. And one of them just texted me that evening and said, you know, I, I said, I, it, was, it was still under warranty, so I could send it back. I was delighted to see that an eight-year-old microphone was still under warranty. But she recognized that, you know, this was going to be a problem and texted me that night and said, how much is it going to cost to just replace it tomorrow? And just put money into the GoFundMe account, and the next day I had a microphone on the way. So I'm blessed in so many ways that people do care about me, and I see that every day. But I also see around me, it's not just me that's having these issues. It's so many of my friends that are going through this, and many of them in much worse shape than I am. As of yet, I haven't found myself on the street. I have friends that have. And, and I've come really, really close. I, in the last two years, I had my electricity turned off for the first time ever in my life. I mean, even when I was a student and making no money, I always managed to somehow get the electrical bill paid. But this time I didn't, and it was 110 degrees. And that was uncomfortable, uh, to put it mildly. But it's part of the deal. On the other hand, I have had friends recently, particularly a lot of friends from the newspaper business, who, you know, the citizen closed in May of 2009. So it's been eight years since the newspaper has been gone. And there are some that still have really not found anything. My situation was not a particularly great one because I was 56 years old when the citizen closed, which meant that I was too young to retire and too old for anybody to hire me, which is part of what drove me to the madness that is becoming a filmmaker. It's just, these are crazy times. These are precarious times. And the other thing that's happened in the last two years that was completely unthinkable two years ago when we sat down, the, the other thing that's happened in the last two years that was inconceivable two years ago is that Donald Trump was elected president and that the Republican now the Republicans now own the House and Senate, which they had before, but now they own the presidency. And things that we have taken for granted, just basic civil discourse, the believability of news sources, the possibility that one might have insurance those kinds of things are, are not in any way guaranteed anymore. Uh, in, in fact, just the opposite. And so you take a precarious situation to begin with. And, and in the case of Obamacare, you have to make that payment every month or you lose it. You can't be two days after the deadline. It's just you either make it or you don't. And that was putting stress on things. But I'm still in better shape than some of my friends. My artist friends 
This has been an extraordinarily stressful time for them. You turn on the news and everything you love and care about is being put down by the people in power. And, you know, your earning ability is getting smaller and smaller. And people are manipulating your future to the betterment of those who really don't need an extra dime. It's hard to feel your best about the universe when that kind of thing is going on. And so these are some of the things that have been going on in, in my life. Along the mariachi trail, one of the things I, I spoke before of unexpected things that can be really devastating. And this summer, at the beginning of the summer, a young woman that I had interviewed about a year ago who was unbelievably brilliant, great musician, one of the most wonderful kid, parents from God, Truly, one of the greatest experiences I've, I've had was talking with this young woman and their family. Well, at the beginning of the summer, she was swimming in the pool in the backyard, and they just looked out, out the kitchen window and realized they hadn't seen her for a while and walked out and discovered she was at the bottom of the pool. And so they brought her up and performed CPR on her and took her to the hospital, but she was brain dead, basically, for the next two days, and they kept her alive long enough to have friends and family members come in and say their goodbyes and so on. Then they pulled the plug and she was gone. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It was like my own kid. And it also hit the community like a ton of bricks. Now, the positive side of that is the community really turned out. A hundred plus Mariachi musicians came to play at her funeral from all different groups, all different ages. They were there. It was held at San Agustin Cathedral, which I think legally holds about a thousand people. And if there was under 1,500, I'll be surprised, deeply so. And how her father just lost his father maybe nine months before to a, a brain aneurysm. And that had been a very, very rough loss for him because it happened so out of the blue that he never got a chance to say goodbye, all of that kind of thing. Talk about grieving. He was in, still in grief when this epic compound grief event occurred. And so for all of us, it was a challenge. For me, I found myself in the position that I needed to do something for that family. And I had footage out the yin-yang. And one of the things that when I interviewed her, she read me an essay that she had written about her mariachi experience for the college that she was applying to in hopes of getting a full scholarship. And I asked her to read it on tape, and it was beautiful. And I, I told her at the end, if they don't give you 100% of every expense, don't go there because they don't understand how good you are. That's a school you don't want to be at. And three weeks later, she called me up and said, full scholarship, everything, books, tuition, transportation, you name it, top to bottom. So it became my job to take that essay and go back through all the film I had and illustrate everything that she had to say. And it was the most agonizing 10 days of my life. Hearing these beautiful words over and over again, seeing this kid with such incredible potential, and knowing that instead of writing the great success story of her life, 
I was writing her habitat. And that really, oh God, that was a, that was a sucker punch. No question about it. And makes you cheery. The, the, the good thing is that her parents have taken it extraordinarily well, have created the foundation in her name to create scholarships for others who will come along and are using her memory in the most positive way. And again, all of this just continues this story that got me into doing this film to begin with, which is how powerful and how resilient the Mexican-American people are in creating this celebration of their culture that in turn gives them the tools to transcend segregation, racism, everything that they face in their lives and succeed as Americans. The yin with the yang, we're, we're here, we're, we're all kind of in this boat where it's rocking, but we're still so far in the boat. And I guess it's up to us to keep paddling and try and get our asses to the shore. <laughs> well, thanks so much for your story, Dan. And, and for telling that story, I feel like it's such a great American success story of a, a culture that was here long before this was the U.S. I mean, not mariachi particularly, but just the, the Mexican-American story in Tucson is different because it was Mexico. And then it does, we just moved the border. And so it's not, there's this idea that it's all immigrants and it's not. It's people who are really grounded and rooted in the community and have been forever. Exactly. There, yeah. there are many people that I interview in this uh, who their descendants were guards at the Spanish Presidio a hundred years or more before it became part of the United States. So when, when I hear that argument that, you know, these immigrants are taking our job and this, they're taking our land, they're doing this, that, and the other, I'm like... Uh, you don't really know your history terribly well, <laughs> particularly here. It's kind of the opposite. But thanks anyway for competing, and please accept these parting gifts. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I'm realizing that I just don't deal with change very well. Good change, bad change. Otherwise, the, the things that are in my life in any given moment, I just want them to be there. And it's sort of an appreciation and gratitude of what I have but I, I am having a hard time feeling gratitude. I feel like, like, I don't know. I am ready for a change and also mourning it. Yeah, I, I understand that. You know, I'm the king of holding still. I've lived in the same house for over 40 years. And it really has nothing to do with that house really fitting my needs. It has everything to do with, like you, I just can't conceive of having to pack everything up and move it into another place and all of that. Plus, you know, I know my neighbors, I know this, that, and the other thing. And it's it, it works for me on some weird level and, and it's disgusting at the same time. So, uh, <laughs> and mortifying, mostly mortifying, but somewhat disgusting. So. <laughs> I also relate really strongly to having a student or a young promising person pass away. I guess you expect to lose people in my mom's age bracket. People get sick and get colds. And you, there are people you you wonder how they do stay alive who are living a lifestyle where like every time you hear they're still alive, you're happy, right? right. But like just a promising young person, I don't know, it just, it was, I really relate to that. 
Well, it's true. And and how how all of us deal with that kind of thing is, you know, particularly for this this group of parents, this was very devastating. They have two kids and she was the the light of their life, not that the not the, the older sister was not. Uh, again, one of the things that they did, like literally the day that they died, Mike, the father, went on TV to talk about the importance of donating organs because all of her organs were, you know, in good shape and able to go on and help other people. Yeah. And how we find our way out of that depression. But this is this is the struggle we all face, and, and yeah. we deal with it as we deal with it. Uh, last week I played the first episode of the depression session was, was you and me chatting and it, it kind of doing a whole month of, of like, this is my two year anniversary. I think it goes along with my sentimentality and sense of grief and loss and change and stuff. And it's not even that big of changes. I'm not leaving Tucson, although who knows? I always think if things get bad in our country, I'll just go live somewhere else or <laughs> but I, I, I think that I was listening to it and it was an episode about grief, the grief I was feeling from having lost my dad and my house had gone into foreclosure and then I had to sell his house and then I bought a house and then I moved and like all these things happened in short succession and a breakup and, and it was incredibly hard time for me. You were there for me. I remember going out to dinner with you one evening Actually, it was an evening that was very strange because you and I went out and we had a nice chat, went to a Thai restaurant and I came back home and the minute I put my head on my pillow, I had a panic attack and that was the first time I had a panic attack and went to the hospital knowing that it probably was panic, but in case it was a heart attack and that listening to the show, I was, it was funny. So Dan was having the James Van Prague workshop and I was on the way back to the workshop from the radio station, listening to myself talk about my dad's death and, and introduce you. And, and I had this realization I'm in grief again, but it's nothing like that. It's like a little grief, a little bit of loss. I just feel a little lost. Actually, I feel a little at loose ends and a little lost. I'm not having a big crisis and I have such a better relationship with depression and for me, it's it's been about accepting that this is something I feel sometimes, and there's nothing wrong with me. Because look at all the other people who also feel this in a bunch of different ways. Everybody's depression slightly different, but hey, aren't we just normal? That feels good to me, and I have, this show has saved me a lot doing well, this. You know, and that's that's really true. And one of the one of the things in the last, you know, I, I have friends in my life who appear and disappear, some with mental health issues, some with substance abuse issues. And, and I feel so grateful that I at least don't have those kinds of problems. And yet at the same time, you know, when they disappear, I'm like worried there's there's one that i just realized maybe a week or so ago it's been 15 months since i heard from her and i don't know if she's alive or dead and i don't know anyone who could tell me and that's a weird and and creepy kind of of feeling and yet for everything i've been through for everything that 
people who are close to me have been through. I've also had good friends. I've had you. I've had many other good friends, which was something I really didn't have when the citizen ended because everything was professional associations and you had to keep your professional distance. But now I have actual friends who I do things with and talk to on the phone when I'm not feeling great. And realizing also that this is a very common thing for many of us and just talking about it helps a great lot. Yeah. And just having friends who are okay if you're not okay. Yeah. Yeah. And are there for you. Yeah. No matter what. And we've got loopy friends, let's face it. (laughs) We have friends who need adult supervision, (laughs) not least of all ourselves. Well, on that note, I want to thank you so much for being on the depression session again. My pleasure. Let's do it again in two years. I want to mention again that if you found some of the content of today's episode triggering, please seek professional help and call 911 if you feel like hurting yourself or others. I'm not a licensed therapist, and this show and the station are not endorsing any remedies or products. The purpose of this show is to destigmatize depression through storytelling. You can find a link to mental health services on downtownradio.org on the About KTDT page. To listen to the podcast, or if you're interested in being on the show, contact us at www.thedepressionsession.com. You've been listening to The Depression Session on Downtown Radio Tucson with music by Septahelix. Find us on Facebook and Twitter at The Depression Session Podcast. Thank you.